And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came up to him and said to him, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your glory. Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, We are able. And Jesus said to them, The cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And when the ten heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. And Jesus called them to him and said to them, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Man, I thought about Nathaniel. I thought about trying to do four steps. You know, you did three, and I thought about four, but maybe I shouldn't really do that. Advantage of having long legs, right? Um, yeah, thank you guys, Nathaniel. Thank you for being Chuck. Thank you for sharing. Um, I love that you want to continue serving Jesus all of your life. I love seeing that in you and hearing you say that this morning. Um, just a real encouragement to us as we watch you do that. <clears throat> so let me get kind of the obvious out of the way here. I'm, I'm not so accustomed to teaching, preaching on Sunday morning, um, but I, I really and thankful to do it this morning. I think this is a special day in the life of the church as we commission deacons, as we set aside um, some to serve, um, not the only to serve, we're all called to serve. Um, but I'm really thankful to look at what Scripture has to say about deacon ministry today. Um, for over the last few years, I've had the opportunity to walk with deacons, to walk with deacons, to walk um, with some of our deacon chairs I really believe that our church has grown in its understanding of deacon ministry. 
service, submitting ourselves to the clear teaching of God's Word. God is growing us in rich gospel service and unity. Deacon ministry at the cave, we have had a nice weekend. We started with a dinner Friday night with deacons and our wives, and then yesterday morning a training, um, really a meaningful time together where we talked about a number of things, but one of them is what, what do we do as deacons? So deacons here at the cave um, practice member care, caring for members in Bible study classes, our homebound and shut-ins, making hospital visits. You might see them serving communion together, uh, being peacemakers in the body. They complete simple acts of service, home projects. Our deacons have really made great progress in these areas. As we look today at Mark 10, um, we'll really see the significance of Jesus' death for us as disciples. As disciples, as servants, as deacons, we are constantly growing, practicing to become better disciples ourselves. We learn to serve. We learn to forgive, to encourage, to die to self, to live out our faith before others because of what we have first seen in Christ himself. Today we do commission three new deacons. Pete, introduce you to those, Chuck and Kelly and Mike. In addition to those, um, we have a total of 10 that have agreed to serve in this coming year. Uh, the others are Neil Holthauser, Chris Church, Roy Davis, uh, Russ Delaney, Ron Gaskins, Pete Lantman, and W.C. Wilkerson. These men were asking to demonstrate the gospel as they serve, to look to Jesus, who was the perfect, ultimate example of deacon and servant himself. Uh, driving our thoughts this morning out of this passage in Mark 10 is really Mark 10, verse 45. Take a look at that in your Bible there. The Son of Man came <clears throat> not to be served, but to serve. To serve, to deacon. The word form here the, is, a, is a verb. To serve, to deacon, to minister, to help. All those are good words. If your Bible uses those. Though Jesus is not describing the church office of deacon here, he himself is the ultimate deacon, the ultimate servant. He definitely has in mind this essence of Christian ministry, especially Christian leadership, pastors, deacons, other leaders who are working and serving under the title of Christian. In the second part of this verse, Jesus is clearly saying that his own life, his burial, resurrection, the gospel itself, these are what define leadership. These are what resource leadership. The only way that someone can be in Christian ministry, a pastor, a deacon, or a leader, is if they know Jesus and they trust in his death burial, and resurrection, the gospel. The gospel is the only resource by which we can ever really serve. 
when Jesus says here to serve and to give his life, he's talking about two separate things. He's not saying, I'm going to serve by giving my life. Um, two separate things. One, Jesus came to serve, to heal, to meet, to bless people, to touch people. And then second, this, the second part of the verse tells why, a very clear reason why why Jesus did that, an exclamation point for why Christian service has such meaning. And that is because Christ gave his life as a ransom. It's because Christ gave his life as a ransom. It's the gospel. The gospel message ties these two things together to serve and why we do that. Um, otherwise, if you think about it, why would these 10 men take time out of busy schedules, out of crazy lives that we all live, why, why would they do a thing like that, to be peacemakers and make visits and calls and write notes? Yeah, it's the gospel. The gospel does that inside of each of us. So with that said, I've got two points for you out of this passage this morning. Um, just two simple points, shorter than Pete's normal three. I told the first service, so... Trying to, trying to, uh, yeah, anyway, we're just going to enjoy Mark 10, verses 35 through 45. Two points. The first one being deacon ministry is not about rank, precedence, power, or position. It's not about those things. Look at verse 35. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came up to Jesus and they said to him, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. So just, just think about how that sounds. I, I, I'm reading that and I've been reflecting on it this week. It just, just sounds a bit self-serving. Think about if you were Jesus and somebody walked up to you and said that to you. I want you to do whatever I want you to do for me. Um, so in Jesus, you know, in, in, this, in his response, he he just, he, he's kind of got to see what's, what's coming here. He wants them to verbalize what they want him to do. So he responds with a question and asks them to tell, hey, what do you want me to do for you? So James and John seem to think that they should sit one on the right-hand side and one on the left-hand side of Christ. That seems really bold from where we sit and stand today even maybe foolish to assume that you could have that kind of position. Wow, we, we would never say that, right? We would never say something like, look at that. They say, grant us to sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. And remember that in Jewish thought, to sit at the right hand of the king was the place of greatest prominence. And then to sit at the left side was the one of second greatest prominence. And Jesus' response, he says, whoa, 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 wait. You, do you really know what you're asking? Do you really know what, do you really understand, maybe it's a better way to say it, that what you're asking? And yet, despite the audacity with which James and John ask this, Jesus doesn't rebuke them, doesn't correct them, Instead, a question, are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? 
Look at James and John's quick response. No, we are able. Just process that for a minute. No, we are able. No, we think we do understand. It's sometimes like we say, no, I got this, right? I, I got this. Wow. Uh, there's got to be some misunderstanding, but I think, there's, I think there's more. Three times in Mark's gospel, Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die and rise again. Three times. The most recent in these verses 32 through 34, the cup and the baptism that Jesus asked about here in verse 38, those things signify his coming death. For James and John and perhaps even all the disciples, they might be thinking about some kind of suffering, maybe, maybe something less significant. But clearly, it's not what Jesus is talking about here. I also think there is some type of selfish ambition, selfish ambition going on here in James and John's life, in their hearts wanting something that they don't deserve. They want to share in Jesus' greatness. They want a similar degree of power and position and rank. Yes, they do, but we need to be really careful ourselves because it is so easy for us to stand here and say that, and yet that happens in our lives all the time all the time. We want what we don't have. We want more of what we do have, and we want it on our terms. That is a selfish response that comes out of our hearts. As we've, as we've said before, it's a treasure response. It shows what our heart is attached to when we respond like that. When the gospel is not at the center of our lives, our service our heart, our heart language, it looks and sounds ugly. We don't want that for sure. We do not want that. Look at verse 41. And then the 10 heard, and they became indignant. They were angry. They were hot. They were mad at James and John. Their response is really no more commendable than that of James and John. They became angry because they probably wanted those positions themselves. They, they were jealous, and they became angry because they wanted something that James and John had just asked for. Yeah, there are times in each of us <clears throat> that we struggle with selfish ambitions of power, prestige. It will surely stifle our service every time we allow that to happen. The gospel calls us to serve differently, for sure. So in transition, in verse 42, Jesus called them in. He calls them in for a huddle. He calls all of them, not just James and John, but he calls them in for kind of a defining moment, a moment of instruction. And he said, this teaching is for all of you. It's for all of the church. He teaches that sometimes the world's rulers maybe even Christian rulers. Maybe we've had that experience in our own lives where a Christian ruler has lorded something over us. And he says, that, that's what the world says, but we're not going to do that. They abuse power, and Jesus says, we're, we're not going to do that. That's not how we're going to do things. 
So if deacon ministry is not about these first things, then what is it about? So let's look at verses 42 through 45. Deacon ministry is all about giving yourself away completely in humility and Christian service. Giving yourself away in complete humility and Christian service. That's what Jesus said, and that's what he modeled for us. Give yourself yourself away for the sake of the gospel. Simple acts of kindness. Just do those simple things. We make it complicated so often. In verse 43, Jesus says, whoever's going to be great among you must be, what, a great leader? No, a servant must be your servant. And then in 44, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. Whoever's going to be first must be like a bondservant. Think about a bondservant. That is a person bound in service without wages, never to have anything more in life than that role. Tie this back to what Jesus says, what Mark wrote in verse 31 in the same chapter. Jesus said, we know this, the first will be last and the last will be first. I've got a, a good illustration in a, in a book titled Deacons. It's a nine marks uh, book. We've shared this with our Polity Review and Renewal Committee uh, written by Mark Smethurst, or sorry, Matt Smethurst. And he asked the question in this book, how did Jesus do this? How did Jesus make the first last and the last first? And he's using this to illustrate Luke chapter 22, verse 27. And so I'm going to tell you a little bit of a story that Matt Smethurst does in this book. Think about the Last Supper. Jesus, in his final days, final preparations, he had made arrangements he had secured the room, he made arrangements for the meal, everything prearranged and in order. Put yourself in the shoes of the disciples. Okay, you walk into the room, there's a table, there's food on the table, there's the smell of the food wafting through the room, there's a basin and a towel. Okay, everything looks very normal at this point. That's what you would expect to see. But then, as the disciple, you start looking around and you're like, wait, 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 I don't, I don't see a servant. I don't see a slave. I don't see somebody to wash my feet, as was custom. The last thing in the world that you would expect to see as a disciple is to watch your master kneel down, assuming the posture and role of a nobody, a slave, in order to cleanse your filthy, dirty feet. And yet, that is exactly what Jesus does. He assumes that posture. He serves. I thought that was a great illustration of that. So in these verses, kind of recap here. So he called them close. He said, what I'm about to tell you is not the way of the world. He used the entire incident to teach about the necessity of humility and Christian service. In verses 43 through 44, this is how we do it. This is how we're going to do it. We're not going to look like the world. We're going to do it this way. 
We will not be like Gentile rulers. We will be slaves. We're going to be servants first. And in 45, Christ is the ultimate servant. His life was characterized by servant attitude and included many kinds of service and ministry. Ultimately, his death as a ransom on the cross is the greatest example of service. Greatest example of service for us as believers. Those who accept this ransom that Christ gave on the cross for us surely ought to accept his example of service. So church, let his life, his incarnation, his death, his burial, his resurrection, let those things resource your service. Another illustration for you, um, in Ministries of Mercy, Tim Keller uses a B.B. Warfield sermon in Philippians 2 to illustrate what it means to imitate the incarnation. So Keller writes of a sermon that Warfield gave, and in his sermon, Warfield says, I have to just read it, I can't say it better, self-sacrifice means forgetfulness of self in others. It means not that we should live one life, but a thousand lives, binding ourselves to a thousand souls by the filament of so loving a sympathy that their life becomes ours. That you would do this, that you would want everyone else's life, their problems, their troubles, the things they're going through to become yours. That, that is just really meaningful. So as we serve, as we imitate Jesus, we look to the interests, the needs of others, and we let the gospel resource all that we do. The early church held on to these things. The New Testament has the servant theme woven all throughout it. We've looked at a couple of those passages, Philippians 2, Luke 22, and then, of course, the Acts 6, kind of the hallmark deacon text. But even before Acts 6, you see in Acts 2, the early church, the people of God, they were, they were what? They were selling their possessions and they were giving them to people as there was need. The idea of servanthood, it's modeled for us. It's written about all in the New Testament and Jesus modeled it clearly.